Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse, your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Seeing a gap in the market, Nerida Hansen pitched her idea to support independent artists and designers to a major retailer, but they weren't interested. Believing in herself and her vision, Nerida left her job and started representing independent artists. She turned her dream into a reality and launched her first collection of digitally printed fabrics in 2017. Her business, Nerida Hansen Fabrics, is now a growing independent fabric business in Geelong, supporting textile designers, illustrators and artists from all over the world. Slowly, Nerida has built her team, established an e-commerce store providing wholesale and retail, opened a bricks and mortar store in Torquay and recently launched a second business called Future Folk. 2020 has been bittersweet for Nerida. When the global pandemic first hit, she recalls crying for 30 days straight, not knowing what the future held. She stood down her staff and virtually shut down everything. Then it turned around overnight. And unlike other businesses, there was no need to pivot. They were market ready. There was such an increase in business, Nerida had to move into a bigger warehouse and, more importantly, was able to re-employ her team. Nerida is at the top of her game in the textiles market and building an empire. She shares with us her startup journey, the importance of questioning growth, how and when to hire, dealing with trolls, how to successfully pitch your design, future plans and so much more business advice. Meet my friend Nerida from Nerida Hansen Fabrics. Hello, Nerida, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. You're welcome. We featured your story in Oak Magazine, issue three, which was early 2018, I believe. And I read that article again, and I, I just feel like your business has grown exponentially in the last, what is it, two years that have passed? Yeah, yeah it has. Yeah, it's been a huge couple of years. Oh, and I, I think what's even more remarkable is that some of the projects that you've launched have happened during COVID as well. Yeah, um, COVID's been the biggest um, period of growth for my business, which is kind of bittersweet, but it's been really incredible. To kick us off, can we go back a little bit and could you share the journey of launching Nerida Hanson Fabrics? Yeah, so um, I was, it's really a morph, like it was morphed from my design agency. So I spent a few years as a design licensing agent, which means I uh, represent independent artists and license their designs to um, all sorts of um, companies uh, internationally as well as here in Australia. So I spent a few years doing that and during that period of time I um, was licensing a lot of designs in the fabric industry and I got really disillusioned um, along the way because I had the most remarkable, what I thought were remarkable fabric um, textile designs that companies just didn't pick up and one of the my clients was a manufacturer in South Korea and I went to them and said, hey, do you mind if I manufacture some fabrics for myself? And they were like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So I launched them to a following of 6,000 people on Instagram and it just suddenly, like in, instantaneously, it was a success because what I was launching was something in fabrics that people had never seen. So 
um, I kind of took a few baby steps from there, but uh, it sort of took off alongside my design agency. And within about probably 18 months to two years, I really had to wind the agency down because the fabric business had really um, taken off. So, yeah, it was a really sort of organic, I guess, entry into the market. I never, ever sort of sit, sat there and thought, oh, I'm going to have a fabric business. <laughs> it was just something that happened over a period of time of being involved in fabric and fabric design. So um, sometimes I look back and think, how, how did this even happen? But, um, yeah, it was just really through that involvement in as an agent and working with so many other fabric companies around the world. Yeah. And it's interesting that you talk about having those two businesses as well and then having to make that decision to close one because I'm in the same situation literally this year. Was that a hard decision for you to close one business and just focus on another? It was really, really hard because um, I think there's still a real need out there for those designers to be represented. And um, I still haven't gotten over that. And COVID's hit the design industry really hard. The surface art industry relies very heavily on trade fairs, um, these big ones in Paris and um, in New York and in um, Frankfurt, the ones that I usually go to. And without those running, I think a lot of designers have really suffered. So it was pretty sad that I didn't keep up my connections. But, you know, um, I do have some ideas around how I can be a little bit more passive in helping those designers reach those markets again. So even though I did close it down, um, it's still something I think about every day and hopefully, you know, with with time I can sort of reignite that because, um, I, as you say, like not being able to give it the energy it needs is probably is a lot worse than actually keeping it going. And um, I guess the good thing for me was the majority of the designers that I've always worked with are featured on my fabric. So I've become a licensee to them instead of their agent and that was sort of actually quite nice because we could be a lot more free about what we did together. So with a lot of those designers, I'm able to actually offer them another avenue of income but through the fabric business. But, yeah, it's, it is hard but um, the more and more I go and the more and more I learn, it's like um, you have to give everything your absolute all or it just doesn't work effectively. So, yeah, it comes to a time and I think I'm really open to to the way the world presents itself to me now and it's like you just have to read the signals and um, move on and uh, making those decisions is always better than sort of carrying on and flailing with a couple of different things. Mm. So you definitely go with your gut instinct then? Yeah, I'm actually probably too much I think. Um, I think some of my staff struggle a little bit um, although they're all getting to know me by now. But, uh, like, I've, I really feel the need to follow my instincts. And funnily enough, I don't know, they're usually always right. Um, and if they're not, I'm the sort of person that I don't get um, I don't get too dismayed if I make the wrong decisions. I'm, I move on and um, I think that's where a lot of people come undone in business is that they're so worried about making the right decision that they just don't move forward. Whereas I'm the complete opposite. I could make a hundred wrong decisions before the right one comes along, but at least I'm always moving forward. And that's, um, that's what keeps me going.
Do you look back at all and think, oh, that one wasn't the right decision or, you know, is there some things that you would have done differently? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of things that I think, uh, you know, I've, I think fundamentally I went around the long way. Um, if I look back now, although I think it's not so many uh, small decisions that I that I regret, it's definitely the simplicity of how I went about things. So if I could tell myself anything from five years ago, I would say keep it simple and start small, which is where I never, you know, I could never get a handle on starting small. But I think um, some of the best advice that I've sort of received lately or or have been feeding into my own thinking is like what can we do, how can we do it more simply? Whereas I made things very complex and I and I've dreamt too large and I think that just puts so much pressure on yourself whereas if you start small and let things sort of grow organically um, and make very little investment other than what you're really good at um, life could have been a lot more simple than what I made it for myself over the last few years Um, so I think really it's not so much about what I did but my approach um, and uh, I, like I would advise anyone who's starting up a business now to go and read um, Company of One by Paul Jarvis, which is like my go-to book at the moment. It's all about um, questioning growth and I think that's something that I wish I would have done in the very beginning. How how am I going to grow and how is this going to look for me in a year, in two years, in three? Um, and, you know, I look back now two, three over the last couple of years and think, how the hell did I do all of that? Like I put so much pressure on myself and I'm really amazed that I'm standing upright today. Like I just can't believe it. Um, You know, hundreds and hundreds of emails in my inbox to deal with. Being up at two and three in the morning most nights, um, you know, running the business, it's, it's just you know, I just didn't make things simple enough for myself. Mm. No one sees that though, do they, Nerida? I mean, they see the obviously the results, so the front facing of it, but yeah. yeah, there's so much work that goes into these things, isn't it? There is. And it's really interesting at the moment, like I have 14 staff now and, you know, people say, oh, your business has grown so much. But you know what? I used to do all of those 14 jobs. Um, so yes, now my business can afford to employ those 14 people, but it's those 14 jobs had to be done in the very beginning and I was doing all of them. So, um, you know, more and more now I'm able to take some time out for myself on those days when I am really exhausted because I have people to take care of it. And one of the most um, incredible feelings came about six weeks ago when I went away on a family holiday for five days and I didn't really get any emails way and I was like what is going on and it was a really strange feeling but I realized that my emails are now being directed across all different parts of the business and I was just like shocked I was like oh my god I'm actually on holidays and nobody's bothering me it was incredible incredible feeling oh that's the ultimate and I, I think there'll be people listening Nerida that you know are coming into that Christmas school holiday period that are probably running their own business and you know, it's so hard to be offline, isn't it? And whether that's, you know, if they're a small business, you know, could they look at maybe a VA um, just so that they can actually enjoy that quality time? Yeah. And and look, I think that is the trade-off though, like um, to having your own business. Seven days a week, I have flexibility to spend the day as I want to spend it. And that 
when either when you're unwell or your children are unwell or you just need to go for that surf or take that extra gym class or just make sure you do some shopping and get your pantry full again. Whatever it is that you need, you can do in your own time. You can take holidays when you want to take. To some extent, you can take the pay that you want to take. But the trade-off is that you are never offline. Um, and that's But that's something that I've really come to terms with. And Work-life balance for me is about, um, you know, just trying to take time out. But I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm never offline. It doesn't matter how many people are taking care of my business. I'm still ultimately responsible. But, you know, for me now that I'm comfortable with that, I'm actually really satisfied that I do have a really um, enjoyable job because I can just take off a day. I can set myself up and just say, right, I'm off today guys, I've had enough, I'm walking out of here, I'm off. (laughs) So yeah, it's a good trade-off. And I might just pick up on that part. So what do you do outside of work? Are there things that you do to reset yourself to, you know, find clarity and and come up with all these amazing ideas? Um, Yeah, so I love keeping fit. Um, I do exercise. I love training, like sort of boot camp style training, which I've got back into recently. But my biggest passion is surfing and surfing for me, well, it's not just surfing, but surfing or swimming in the ocean. So um, any time that I get given, I would you'd probably find me at the beach. Um, as magical powers that the ocean has, I just turn to that all, all the time. So I love going out surfing, um, keeping fit, um, I did love yoga until all the studios closed down and now it's, it's gone way by the by the wayside. But um, being outdoors is really my go-to space. Um, and then spending quality time with my friends sort of outside my family, outside of work and just um, connecting with friends is a really important part, way to pass the time. But I am looking now like I'm thinking, okay, what, what, what else can I do that's not work-related? So or fitness related. So, you know, and this is where I'd like to sort of find the time in the future to maybe start being artistic again or doing something with my hands or even um, maybe learning how to relax and read a book or something like that, some crazy concept. Yeah. But no, you find me in the water most of the time. Yeah, beautiful. Um, And that just brings me back to the um, issue three of Oak. We've got that photo of you with your surfboard um, and it has a print on it. uh, And it's just, it's beautiful. They were absolute beautiful Mm. uh, library of images from Nicole Ramsey, it was, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, my good friend Nicole. She takes some beautiful photos. She does. Now, do you have an inner circle that, you know, you can go to or a mentor or anything like that that, you know, you go to for business advice or to Um, help you through? No, I struggle with that actually. Um, It depends depends what sort of advice. So my inner circle from a day-to-day and week-to-week is I'm actually very fortunate that some of my closest friends are incredible in in the businesses that they work in and operating in and Nicole Ramsey is one of those people and she's incredibly creative, incredibly successful as a photographer Um, and I have some other very close friends in that group of girls who are extremely successful. So the great thing about that is even though we don't sort of sit and always talk about our jobs but we always 
um, talking about. So what have you, you been up to this week? What are your biggest projects at the moment? Like one of my girlfriends, Fee, is very high up in the music industry. Um, another one has just become, Sarah, she's just become a um, advisor to the planning minister of Victoria. Like really, these are my inner circle and they are incredibly clever creative people and I get to really bounce I think you know the ups and downs of of working at this level with them and I get so much um, sort of satisfaction from just the discussions we have but also I think the best thing about having successful women in your inner circle is you know that you're not the only one who's got the ups and downs of being a busy mum and, you know, we really go through the ringer. A lot of the time we might spend walking and ending up with a glass of wine because we're all just like, oh, my God, what a week, you know. Um, so we have a lot in common in that way. But as far as actually mentoring, I'm really struggling with that at the moment because um, I've got some staff in my business who are very, very high up in what they do, like digital marketing space, my my community um, of followers and my tribe I guess in Nerida Hanson Fabrics has been so successful um, my accountant has steered a really successful path for us financially and I'm finding a lot of the the mentorship and business sort of groups around us are talking not quite at my level and, I, and it's like I've, I've been through a lot of what people are, are, are selling I guess at the moment like I get an approach from a, when I talk to a lot of sort of business coaches and mentors but they can't offer me what I'm looking for at the next level so um, I'm actually starting out with a coach next week in the hope that she might be able to answer a few questions for me because I'm really at the level now where I've changed from a small business operator to a leader of a, a small to medium business and I'm really thinking okay now I need some guidance because I don't know how to do this job <laughs> and and I'm just really struggling with finding that right person. So, And the other thing is my objectives in the next few years have changed very much from what they were in the last few years. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm really on the lookout for, for that group or that organisation or those people that can help me through this because I'm finding I've kind of got to that next level. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, do, do you have moments where you think, oh, I don't belong here at this level at all? Um, no, actually the opposite. I feel like this is where I'm meant to be. Um, I feel like I feel like I've done things well. I really do. Like um, even though I've got a lot of uncertainty and strategically I'm a bit like, oh, my gosh, I need help at, at this level. I definitely need help. But I think this is where I was always meant to be because um, everyone in my team does what they are there to do so much better than I ever did it. So I know I'm no good as an operational kind of person. I'm not a great designer. I'm terrible at, like, I don't have patience for cutting and packing. I don't have patience for the graphic design element of the job. I don't have any patience for the styling of our um, photography. I don't like the everything that my team do, I don't do well at all. And I've never done any of it very well, but I've been able to do all of it at once. And so, and what I've always done really well is, is implement and act, action that sort of big vision. So I really do feel like this is where I'm meant to be. But 
now I feel fortunate that I can actually just work on that vision and strategizing. Um, so even though I've got a long way to go at doing that successfully, I really do think that this is where I'm supposed to be. But I think you've done the right thing, Nerida, is hiring people who are better at things than, than you are. Oh, um, yeah, so in terms of that hiring, did your staff grow really quickly or, you know, what were those first roles that you implemented, um, you know, and how do you find the right people? I mean, obviously in the, in the very beginning there's, and I think most people would probably be the same running their own business, the account side of things are always the first to outsource because that is the worst part of the job, um, you know, reconciling and preparing BAS statements and things like that. So that was sort of one of the first. Um, the other one, actually the longest um, running role in this business was social media marketing as well because that was something that I felt um, needed to have a lot more regularity than what I was giving it. Um, and so the social media marketing and the account side of the business is where the employers have been longest running in this business. Um, then I guess as the business grew, it was about getting support simply just to cut and pack fabric. Um, and then really, I guess we moved into the retail space as well. So it was about having retail staff. And then this year is when it all happened. So I think I was really just had retail, some assistance with cutting and packing, the bookkeeping and social media marketing. And then this year, it all became about wholesale. It became about digital performance management. It, it became about UX development, so that user experience online. So as this year just exploded online, these positions, even though I already did have a digital performance manager who'd done an amazing job, she her job got really serious. Um, we implemented a, a role for a user experience manager, which has just been amazing. And um, and then, of course, logistics became so important because we weren't running a, a business that was turning over 10 or 15 orders a day. It became 50 or 60 or 100, um, sometimes 400 a day. So it was about, um, you know, a full operations team. So that's all happened very, very quickly. So now I really have a marketing team. I have a, a, I have a textile design studio as well. So we've actually got... Um, I've developed my own um, design capacity in-house. We have the operations side, we have the marketing side, and so that's that's grown very, very quickly. Now, I think one of the best things I did was very early on it's so easy to rely on your friends and family and people around you to come in and help, but I've, I've, I realised when things were getting really serious that that wasn't enough and that we actually needed the experience and the skills to come into the business so that I could be taught things and things could be done better. So what I did then was I actually advertised, um, you know, on Seek and I advertised, you know, I did advertise on social media, which actually always works really well because you get people who love your business already applying for the roles. But then I put together proper job, job, job descriptions. I needed years of experience. I put um, salaries out there that were industry standard and I got incredible, incredible people. Um, unfortunately for these, a lot of people, but fortunately for myself, um, the downturn in the fashion industry this year um, made a lot of really incredibly good people redundant. So I was able, especially around Geelong where there's lots of clothing companies um, and surfwear companies, so I was actually able to attract some really amazing talent 
um, from those unfortunate situations where, you know, people were being made redundant who were incredibly talented people. So I think when it gets to the point where you realise this is serious now, you have to put amazing job descriptions together and you have to ask for that experience that is a lot better than what you have uh, and that's what I did. So, um, you know, it's about from now on to I realise how important it is to really match years of experience with that job role that you need within the business. Wow, that is such good advice. I'm just here narrative writing notes. Um, my gosh. Well, I'm just guessing here, but with masks being so popular in Victoria, I mean, did that, did you see any impact on your business through that? Um, well, actually, it was well before the masks were even mandated because when we first, when COVID first hit, um, we didn't know what to expect. And because we were a bricks and mortar at the time, it was so scary. And, um, you know, I remember crying for 30 days straight, um, just not knowing what was going to happen. As as with the rest of the world, it was just such an unknown and it was so scary. And, you know, businesses were closing down as, as we did with retail. And my staff were stood down as well. Um, my retail staff and even my wholesale manager, we had to stop wholesale because um, the costs of freighting was just had just quadrupled overnight. Um, the costs of goods were increasing. Um, I didn't even know how I was going to deliver product. So we virtually shut down everything but our online business and there was my husband and I left in the packing room and then just like that, we, we just went gangbusters online. Now, Everyone talks about having to pivot through um, through COVID, but we didn't because we were already really strong in that space. But so for us, we didn't have to prepare anything. We didn't have to get a market ready. We were market ready for online and it just went crazy because people were at home in the early days. They were also on, you know, people that lost their jobs were on JobKeeper. They were getting supplement payments. People that were in jobs were still getting paid well, but they were at home. So sewing just became something that people turned to. And fortunately at the time too, we we launched my sewing patterns. So we just went absolutely crazy. And my husband and I just were beside ourselves. We were packing endlessly. Some, some nights he was down there till 10 p.m. just trying to get through orders. And we had our kids in doing remote learning and we were just like, what? what is going on and to the point where we actually had to close our space and open up a big warehouse we then had to re-employ well fortunately re-employed the staff and got everyone back in and it just went crazy so when by the time the masks were mandated we were kind of spent <laughs> we were like okay you can slow down now um but, but then it was an opportunity with our organic quilting cotton too to promote some masks and do some promotions about um, fabrics that were suitable for masks and that went crazy as well. So the whole year just, you know, inspired people to um, do something creative and I think all of the creative businesses, as, as everyone knows, like homewares, um, fabrics, anything to do with home went crazy this year. Spotlight was out of fabric. Um, it, nobody could get fabric anywhere. So as soon as we released something, bang, it was going. It was really just took us all by surprise. It was it was really remarkable. But at the same time, we never enjoyed it because, you know, some of my best friends were devastated by it and so many of my friends um, 
were completely out of work and oh it's just such a bittersweet kind of year yeah it is yep definitely how did you find that second one was that a little bit easier or um it was a little bit easier in that we we between the first and the second lockdown we'd moved to the warehouse and we had a lot more space we had a lot more fabric so we had a lot more availability of stock we had our staff back um but it did become a little bit harder with my kids because we weren't um, really close to home. So I was having to be home more um, to supervise, particularly my son. My daughter was great. She's in year seven, so she could sit down and just spend the whole time online on her own, didn't need me there, but my son did. And that was harder because we were, um, yeah, it was more of a personal struggle, I think, in the second lockdown. But as far as business went, we were sort of used to it and um, the difficult thing for us with um, not being able to have a lot of staff in the warehouse at once was probably the harder thing because we our, our lead times for getting orders out was quite slow because uh, we could really only have three people or four people in the warehouse at once plus being masked up all day when you're doing physical work is really difficult so it was very stifling I must say um, and, yeah, we just had to do our best to get through it. Yeah, we do, don't we? Now, on a more positive note, you have launched a new kid on the block earlier this year called Future Folk, which I absolutely love and I know my kids are going to love as well um, with Christmas coming up. So could you tell me a little bit more about what Future Folk is? Yeah, well, um, Future Folk is another one of those things that happened without me really knowing or planning it. Um, last year we, um, as, you, as most people would know who know my business, I've had the May Gibbs licence for two, nearly two years now and um, it was actually my auntie who came into my shop one day and to look at the May Gibbs fabrics and she said, oh, Neri, you should start printing May Gibbs posters and prints and things. And I was like... Um, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And we we did actually have a printer at the time, a really beautiful Epson wide, wide um, printer. Um, and then some of my friends, some dear friends of mine, Jane and Dave, they, they actually ran a business and they had the capacity to do personalised stickers and labels and wall decals and things like that. So... I was sort of like, well, could you guys print my May Gibbs decals and wall prints? Because May Gibbs had said to me, yeah, sure, go ahead and you can, we'll put an addendum to your licence and you can have it for wall decals and things like that. So um, with the capacity that my friends had and the artwork we had, we started printing personalised labels and wall decals and things through Nerida Hanson Fabrics. But it got to the point with the marketing of those products where it didn't make sense and we couldn't link the fabric customer necessarily with the personalised label or de decal customer. So even though it was doing well, we really felt like those products needed a life of their own. And when we started exploring the potential for room decor and personalised labels, I realised that, that, yes, that market is flooded. There's so many companies doing personalised kids' labels, but none that have the artwork that I have available. So if you look at our lunchbox labels, for example, they are so adorable and the artwork is really beautiful and the whole value that I system I have around supporting artists just was so easy to translate from Nerida Hanson Fabrics to that business of 
wall decals. So we put it, we gave it its own home. We started a new website. And when I was thinking about what that website stood for and what it meant, I really felt like it was an opportunity to support um, young people um, with products that were really fun, really practical, beautiful art, something different, also targeting the older child. So a lot of those um, wall decals and personalised labels that you get on the market, it's all this really tacky, babyish kind of artwork, whereas we had this really funky, cool, really beautiful artwork that we could um, implement with the brand, not a, not to mention the May Gibbs stories as well. So um, Future Folk was a name that I came up with because I felt that also this brand has a potential to send a lot of messages and involve children and older children in the marketing of this brand. So where we take this brand in the future, you'll see a lot more, um, like we're introducing a fundraising model, which um, is where a school or a kindergarten or any sporting organisation can get on board, encourage their um, organisation members to purchase from future folk and we will reimburse that organisation 20% of not just the profits but the turnover of those um, those products. So I think it's a really great organisation where um, it's a great brand where young people can be involved in fundraising through the purchase of products that aren't just frivolous, they're actually really practical, beautiful products. And so a lot of the storytelling that we want to um, involve in this brand is about our future folk. Now, of course, for, for me personally, the ramifications of that are embracing you know, things like the environment, mental health and youth, um, mental health, um, all of those social and environmental issues that are so pertinent for young people today is really where that name came from and is where that brand you'll see over the coming years will really develop um, a strong message around who our future folk are and what we need to do to support them, you know, in the future. That is such a wonderful message behind you, you know, that brand and the fact that, you know, it's more than just selling things as well. You're actually giving back to the community, which yeah, you know, yeah. so very important when we are from, I suppose, smaller communities as well. Yeah. Um, yeah so you spoke about supporting artists and, um, you know, how would an artist go about working with Nerida Hansen? How do they go about getting their beautiful design on one of your fabrics? Um, look, it's actually getting a bit harder now, unfortunately, because the quality of um, the quality of artists that we're working with is just getting like sort of stronger and stronger. I think as my brand has grown, I've been able to leverage off some bigger names and, or stronger sort of names. But I think for me, anyone and it doesn't have to be anyone famous or with a brand name but anyone that presents designs that are really would translate commercially but are really unique and different um, can get a look in like I get I get pitched to pretty much daily um, but I've recently put a um, I recently put a bit of advice on LinkedIn because I do get a lot of people messaging me or emailing me and saying, I'd like to work with you, but they don't give me a call to action. They might put the, here's my Instagram link. It's like, well, I don't have time to go searching for your Instagram and looking through your stuff. And I put a message on LinkedIn saying, anyone who wants surface artists out there, it's textile designers, designers out there. If you want agents or art directors like myself to look at your work, 
feel free to send it through, but give me a clear um, sort of PDF or a link to a website that gives me very quick, easy access to see what your true style is. Like, let me see who you are very quickly, very succinctly, and give me a call to action. So it's like, you know, I get emails from people that say, Nerida, here's uh, my website. If you are interested, email me back and I'll give you a password. It's like, no, just give me the password. I'm not interested in chasing. I don't have the time. But those artists that send me a very quick, clear, concise snapshot of who they are, you know, I, I come across some people that do that really well. I open up their website or their PDF and I go, wow, this artist is amazing. Um, and I'm more than likely to follow that up. And like next year I have several new artists launching who have done exactly that. They've just come to me, but they have a very clear um, and unique style. And I think a lot of people who contact me are sending me things that they think I will like. I'm like, I don't want to know what you think I like. I want to know who you are as, a, as an artist. I want your visual identity. And I want something super unique. So don't go and try and follow the trends. Just be yourself. Develop and work on your own art and then put it into some sort of context that I can imagine your art, you know, within my business. And, you know, chances are if it is special and it's unique, um, I will definitely look at it. You know, there's lots of exciting things happening just from people doing the, the same thing. So, yeah, I think most important, first and foremost, be yourself with your art. Don't try and copy what anyone else is doing. Um, and also make sure that it is commercial. Um, you know, it's it's pretty clear. I think if people are just themselves and they develop their own style and they're really committed to their art rather than being successful as a textile designer, um, anyone can can get their art on textiles if they're clever enough and unique enough. Mm, yeah. What great advice. And, um, yeah, I just probably have to reiterate as well, like we're not here to do the heavy lifting. So if you want to feature, you know, your story in the magazine or obviously if you want your artwork on yeah. a fabric, you've just got to make it easy for us. Absolutely. <laughs> don't have time. And, you know, I learned that through my agency days. You don't um, go to a surface art show and you've got buyers coming from Urban Outfitters and Debenhams and Hallmark and, you know, some of the biggest retailers in the world, even Ikea. Um, they don't want to come and rework your art to start printing it on their bedding. They want it set up in repeat. They want it at the right size. They want it screen, you know, sometimes they want it colour separated for screen printing. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of artists out there that are not prepared enough and they wonder why they keep being knocked back. You know, I get a lot of requests actually from people saying, I've done this lovely picture, would you like to put it on fabric? And I'm like, no, A, I don't just want to put one picture, I want to put a collection, and B, um, you need to provide it to me in a fabric repeat. I'm not going to sort of do all the hard yards and spend the hundreds of dollars and hours on on putting that work into repeat. Um, mind you, given I do that, but for artists that are very renowned and that I know we're going to get an amazing investment on. Um, Lisa Congdon is a really good example of someone who we actually do a lot of the repeats um, for Lisa because she's not a textile designer, but she makes her art so accessible to us 
um, and gives us um, a certain amount of um, freedom to create the repeats as long as she approves it and it's within the style of the work that she she does. Um, it's a really good relationship. But, you know, she has hundreds of thousands of followers and everyone knows who she is and she's got a really distinct style. So that's different. But if, you, if you're getting yourself out there and putting yourself out there, make it easy for the person that you're trying to attract, definitely. Mm. Now you um, name dropped a few big names there. Um, what has been the biggest highlight for you in running your business? Um, oh, there's been a few. I think I think there's so many milestones that I've. I think I think it's when you reach those. Like I like to think of um, a business and success in a series of milestones, if you like. So early on, I think the first milestone was. Um, to give up my second job and when I got to the point where I realised that my second job was actually hindering me earning income from my side hustle which I wanted to become my main job that was a big milestone and it was a really satisfying thing to ring that employer and say I'm really sorry but I can't do this work for you anymore because my business is now getting too big that was a real highlight I think then throughout my agency years which was the start of this fabric business seeing designs that I sort of nurtured and represented on products, you know, quilt covers at Urban Outfitters and, um, you know, I walk into Camelback, um, into a store that stocks Camelback bottles and seeing our cute kids prints on those and seeing them on Pampers nappies or, um, you know, lots of product in, in fashion, seeing them, you know, played out that way is really satisfying. But I think one of the most satisfying things for me now is like, just yesterday I was like in a random supermarket and a nurse came in to do her shopping and she had some scrubs on that was out of my fabric. And, you know, you just see people walking around um, with clothes made out of your fabric and it's just like the biggest highlight. Um, But then there's been others like being approached by Mae Gibbs, for example, to represent, you know, that incredibly beautiful nostalgic brand and, bring it to life in fabrics was such a pleasure and a privilege and a real highlight um you know those those kinds of things and then yeah representing artists and having artists work with you like Lisa Congdon um and like seeing the likes of Jocelyn Proust who you know I was the one to bring her designs to life on fabric and now she's like you know massively successful every nearly every product in spotlight has her name on it so things like that too like having the pleasure of bringing artists to life and their careers to life has been my biggest highlight and that's one of the reasons why I wanted future folk um, and to develop more opportunities for artists like I think that's you know and when you're able to deposit you know a big fat chunk of money into artists account and and they realize that they're living their dream and realizing their dream that's a massive satisfaction and a high for me um, and then I think too, just the ongoing pleasure of seeing our Insta community showcasing every day, we get dozens of people tagging our business um, to say, look what I've made out of this amazing fabric. Uh, it's just such a pleasure because it's just brings so many other people joy as well. Um, that constant growth and interaction that we have with that community online and then, of course, seeing it, you know, any design market that you go to in Australia would have some product made by my fabrics or, 
you know, there's fashion companies out there now ordering their custom fabrics through us and it's just delivering that, um, supporting that slow fashion, um, homemade, um, that whole movement that we're enjoying in Australia and the rest of the world to be such a big part of that is just such a highlight for me. Now we know business is a roller coaster. So with the highs, there's sometimes some lows. Um, you were talking about people wearing your fabric and um, also about your Instagram community. Now, more recently, those two, I suppose those two worlds really combined, didn't they? And and not so good either. So did you want to take me through the story of Kingham Gate? Yes, it was Kingham Gate. It sure was. Um, so recently I um, asked one of the beautiful makers, Katie Makes a Dress is her business name, absolutely stunning dressmaker from the Sunshine Coast to um, test my gingham fabric and put it on her, you know, show, explain to people through her blog how to work with gingham and how to match it or how to sew it and also get a feel for the fabrics. And she did an amazing job and she put together a blog post and some incredible photos of herself wearing the product. And it was so exquisite. Like Katie's a stunning model, not to mention an incredible dressmaker and photographer. So um, it was so unfortunate, however, that these posts that she put up got trolled so badly with other people in our community commenting on her body size and her shape and saying things like, you know, girls that size shouldn't wear gingham, you should be jogging more, you know, more regularly, like really scathing horrible comments that you would never want to hear um, particularly within such a beautiful community as ours. Um, and I was a bit unaware of what was happening, but this one evening this sort of got really out of hand and um, fortunately because of the following that Katie has, someone started posting themselves wearing gingham and did a hashtag gingham appreciation week and a whole lot of her followers started the same. And it was all on Instagram stories. So it was all unravelling and a little bit difficult for people to follow the next day. But when I got wind of it, I thought, this is horrible. Why should we even be subject to this? Why should we be even talking about this? And how could this possibly happen? Um, and I felt really strongly about it because I'd actually been the one who asked Katie to, to do this project with the gingham. Um, and I really felt compelled to to do something quite significant as far as sending the message that this is not okay. Um, and so we were in a photo shoot at the time and I actually had my gingham wrap dress um, hanging up near where we were shooting and I got one of the girls to press it and I put it on and I gave the bird in this photo that my photographer took and we posted it. And I was like, my message was no one messes with my tribe no one has the right to make Katie feel this way. She's such a beautiful person. This is such an incredible project she worked on. And um, the following that we got from that and the comments that we got from that was enormous and so positive. And, you know, I even had people saying, I didn't realise you were so cool. Like it was just hilarious <laughs> to see the feedback. People who don't normally interact with us were saying, oh, my God, I just love you for doing this. Um, it was all through Facebook, all through Instagram. Some people had followed the story, some hadn't. There were comments like what had happened or I don't even know what happened but this is the best thing I've ever seen. Um, and when you put your finger up like that and put it on a post, it's really sending a very strong message and 
I did have a couple of comments from people saying, I think you've stooped to their level. This is not a nice thing to see. Um, and one woman in particular, I got back to her because she was very disappointed in me that I'd done that. And I said to her, I totally get where you're coming from. And if you look back through all the years of Instagram for me, you would hardly ever see me um, in such a light before. But I really felt that there wasn't any other way at the time that I would get my message across. And if I didn't do it visually with the bird, um, I don't think it would have resonated as strongly. And sure enough, the outcome of all of that was that um, Katie got back to me and said she had never, ever felt so supported in her life. Normally, Katie's a very resilient woman. Um, she was very upset by the whole thing. And then as a result, coming through with the fact that she knew there was so many messages of support for her through her channels, through my channels, that she felt like this is just one of the most amazing moments of support that she'd ever had. And um, and I was really glad I did it because I was just like, well, I have nearly 100,000 or 90,000 followers, whatever it is. I want you all to know that this is not okay. And I just didn't know at the time any other way to say it more strongly than that. So it was, yeah, and, I, and it's still there. Like some people had suggested, oh, I think you should take that post down. And it was actually Katie who she fed back on one of those comments and said, no, this has to stay. This is, um, this is you know, got to be recorded. And it was only the trolls that actually ended up deleting their comments, interestingly enough, um, which was a good outcome as well because I think the remorse that they must have felt compelled them to take it down. So they all actually deleted the comments. Good on yeah. them. So they should. But I love that you've used your platform for that narrator and, and didn't let it pass by. Um, and I love that you've spoken out for more people than just Katie. There's a whole nother audience out there that will have been watching uh, that conversation happening and, yeah, feel loved and feel accepted and to know that I suppose your community is still a safe one, yeah, to be part of. Yeah. I mean, this is an ongoing issue with um, in the fashion industry, Um you know, it's it's something that I don't think is going to go away very quickly and easily. But um, you know, acceptance of body is is just continues to be a challenge for so many women. Um, but the more we embrace the diversity and beauty of our bodies, the better. And it's just something that has to, we have to try and stamp it out. Even though I don't believe, I think with all of the other influences that I'm seeing, like my daughter have it nearly 13, you think, oh, what chance do they even have? But um, we just we have to do what we can do. Yeah. yeah. I've got a younger sister. She's 21. And obviously with the, uh, what is it, Kylie Jenner sort of crew growing up. And you can see that reflected in them, in the body issues that they have and wanting to look a certain way. But you know, what do you do when, as you said, there's so many influences that are allowed to get away with it? Yeah, that's um, you know. But to end us on a high, <laughs> um, could you tell me about a friend you have that we all need to know about? I would say, actually, I have to hop back to my friend Nicole. Um, if you look up Nicole's Instagram, um, Nicole Ramsey, she's spelled with a K N I K O L E. Um, I think the reason being Nicole is a very, very successful photographer. I think if you look at any of the commercial home magazines at the moment or any time, you would see shoots of celebrity homes or other homes by Nicole. So she's an exceptional photographer. 
She has an exceptional client base. But I think the amazing thing about Nicole is that she, um, the reason she is exceptional is because she really knows who she is as a creative and she's able to um, work with these wonderful companies and people and get her shoots in magazines because she has a really fine balance between being commercial and also being her incredible self. But I think the most amazing thing that she's doing at the moment is she used the time in COVID, um, which, you know, was pretty mean to the photographic industry because it was fairly much shut down for uh, most of six months. But she used it to um, develop an exhibition called Unfold that she's launching at Lon um, Retreat in Point Lonsdale, which is actually open for people to visit over summer. Um, of, of her creative work. So it's it's about someone who's been really, um, I guess, you know, highly focused on commercial work and taking that time to move into a creative space. And I think this is something that a lot of us in business can really um, would envy, that sort of capacity to say, okay, this is my dream is always to be creative and do my own work. And she's taken that time through COVID to actually do something so incredibly productive and I'm just so excited to um, go to the launch of that next week to see um, this incredible work by Nicole and I think I believe that's going to coincide with a new website of hers with her prints for sale but it's just turning from that commercial you know focus of working you know working mum 50 60 hours a week to actually being that creative person who launches her own exhibition is just a fantastic feat. Um, So, yeah, that's someone who I really admire and I think her work, um, if you look out for it in the magazines, you'll see her name more and more. Um, And she's she's just a beautiful photographer and artist now with this exhibition. I mean, she's always been an artist. You look through her Instagram account, you'll see some incredibly artistic... um, work but yeah it's just so lovely to see someone who's moved from that commercial to that really highly creative space. Yeah absolutely stunning images that she has and as you said it runs from the 3rd of December to 26th of January uh, at uh, Lawn Retreat in Point Lonsdale and I don't know I feel really special that we've been able to have her photography uh, in our magazine. I feel like I've been the winner on that one so that's amazing. Well thank you Nerida it was so good to speak to you. Um, I just there was so much that you gave, so much business knowledge, and I know that people will be scribbling notes madly um, and just so much to learn from you. So I hope that you're able to find a business mentor, but I think that you would probably be a great one for other people. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah, there's, there's, there, is, there, are, there are some concepts that I'm developing around um, doing exactly that for next year. So, Keep an eye. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. I, even a book narrator somewhere down the line about, yeah, your journey and all that business experience would be one that um, I would add to my list as is. Yeah. Well, stay tuned because there's, there's one's been started. It's just a matter of when it gets finished. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't write themselves though, do they? Like it, no, it literally they has to be you. No, they don't. But yeah, but I, I, I do feel like there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot to say. (laughs) So exciting. I do want to go back and just say that I am going to call up my local Dimmick so I could get Company of One, was it? Yeah, by Paul Jarvis, absolutely. Yeah, it's a must read. I think um, as far as content goes, it it does um, 
like it's not the most exciting read. I, I found it a little bit at times a little bit repetitive. But Paul is an amazing um, author and a thinker. And if you get to read, to get to listen to any of his podcasts um, that he's been interviewed on is is gold. But it is a really fantastic book. And it's all about, you know, questioning growth, which is something I think we should all be doing um, in business. It's, it, I definitely recommend it. Well, here's to a big growth year in 2021 for you and uh, hopefully the end of COVID for all of us. Thank you for being a friend and being on the podcast. So welcome. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. And that now you know a friend of mine.